Hello everybody, welcome back to Firewall's Don't Stop Dragons. Got a really big show for you today, lots of stuff to cover. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about how Intel has some fixes coming for those nasty Spectre and Meltdown bugs, and they're coming sooner than honestly I would have expected. Uh, however, AMD, the other major CPU chip maker, uh, may be having some problems of its own. We'll talk about that. PayPal has released a report uh, on all the companies that it shares its info with, uh, and that list is over 600 companies long. We'll be talking about that. i uh, got some news about the VPN company Tunnel Bear, something I have often mentioned on the show. Uh, we've also got a new guide from Apple to help uh, your families control what their kids do with all their uh, electronic devices. Uh, Amazon is literally laughing at you. We'll talk about that. Uh, disturbing story about Best Buy's Geek Squad uh, doing a lot more than just repairing your stuff. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what Facebook knows about you and how you can know what they know. So first up, we talked, uh, uh, I don't know, earlier this year about some really nasty bugs in the Intel processors. Uh, Intel is the company that makes the CPUs, the, the brains of many computers that we use today, both desktops and laptops. Uh, and some very clever researchers found some pretty nasty bugs in, in, in these chips. This, and this is a hardware bug, not really a software bug, though there have been software fixes or mitigations uh, published by Intel for these things. Uh, just to quickly recap, they were called Spectre and Meltdown. They're, they're similar, uh, and there's actually variants of each. Um, but the, the bottom line is, is that these processors have gotten so amazingly complicated and they've gone to great, great lengths to eke every last bit of performance, uh, out of these chips. And some of the clever things that they do involves, you know, what we call caching or keeping a copy of uh, really important or often accessed data, uh, right next to the CPU instead of, you know, pulling it from the hard drive, which is extremely slow in computer terms. Um, keeping it into like a sort of like a RAM, a special RAM, a uh, very fast RAM that, that the CPU has access to and keeping that data in that RAM and, and, and the meltdown inspector bugs uh, have to do with processes being able to kind of peek into the cache of other processes uh, to kind of get a look at data they're not supposed to be getting a look at. And of course, if one of those processes is malware, you know, it might be digging around to try to find credit card numbers, social security numbers, uh, passwords, and things like that, and security keys, and some really sensitive information that they should have no, normally not have access to. So anyway, um, these are the Spectre and Meltdown bugs, and there have been some mitigations published. Um, uh, but the big announcement here is that the, uh, and I'll just read here, that the Intel CEO, Brian Kranich, Krizanich, I'm sorry, it's... K-R-Z-A-N-I-C-H. I probably butchered that. Uh, Brian Krizan has just announced that the eighth generation of their computer chips, dubbed Cascade Lake, um, uh, will include hardware fixes for the Spectre and Meltdown bugs that were discovered last year and announced earlier this year. Uh, and the, the big news is that they're planning to have those out to manufacturers this fall. So kind of like cars, uh, CPUs uh, have a multi-year design cycle. Uh, these things, even though the, you, you see the new processors coming out, you know, every six to 12 months, those things have been in the pipeline for some time. Uh, so I was actually quite pleasantly surprised to find that they were able to get these uh, mitigations or fixes into the actual hardware uh, for release as early as this fall. So uh, now, of course, they were they learned about this last summer, I think. So they have had some time to work on it. So it's good to know that those are coming. Um, if you're, you know, if you're looking to make a computer purchase, um, 
there have been software fixes for these that, that, that are out now. So it's not like a, a computer you buy off the shelf right now is completely vulnerable. You will need to make sure it gets uh, fully updated. Um, but, uh, you know, depending on how paranoid you are, and if you're in the market to get one, you can wait a little bit longer. You might want to wait for these eighth generation chips to come around uh, that you know have these. But otherwise, I wouldn't worry about it. Go ahead and buy your computers and just make sure you keep all the software up to date, uh, which has still has fixes and mitigations for these bugs built into that. Uh, I would say that if you haven't already, go ahead and um, register your computer products, your laptops, your desktops, um, with whoever you bought it from, Dell, Lenovo, Acer, Asus, Apple. Um, make sure you actually register those products so that when these security fixes come out, they can notify you via email. And I'm sure they're going to send you a bunch of junk too. You might be able to trim down what they send you as far as your email preferences, but you really want to make sure you get notified uh, when there's big security bugs. Now, the other major chip uh, manufacturer, AMD, Advanced Micro Devices, uh, they're kind of the main competitor, I guess really the only, well, not the only, but the main competitor into Intel for CPU chips. And uh, they make they make compatible chips, so uh, a lot of times you'll see the same computer with different chips in it, either an AMD chip or an Intel chip. And while AMD did have some of these same bugs, I think it was the Spectre versions of the bugs that were um, that AMD was also uh, subject to, but not the Meltdown, something like that. Anyway, uh, a subset of those bugs uh, applied also to AMD, but not as many. However, um, there's a new uh, article I just ran across in ThreatPost, and I'll, I'll just read a bit from that. Israel-based CTS Labs said that it has discovered 13 critical vulnerabilities and exploitable backdoors that impact AMD's EPYC server, Ryzen Workstation, Ryzen Pro, and Ryzen Mobile lineups. These are their kind of their code names for their chips. Uh, CTS Labs says it has shared the information with AMD, Microsoft, and a small number of companies that produce patches and mitigations, but said there are no known fixes at this time. According to researchers, the flaws stem from the design of AMD's security gatekeeper secure processor which is the area of the processor where devices store sensitive data, including passwords and encryption keys. And the design of these chips, which links the processor with hardware devices such as Wi-Fi and network cards. And a quote from the article is, This integral part of most of AMD's products, including workstations and servers, is currently being shipped with multiple security vulnerabilities that could allow malicious actors to permanently install malicious code inside the secure processor itself. So it sounds bad, and it probably is. Um, from everything I've read so far on this, these bugs are real. Uh, they actually, you know, sometimes they find these bugs that are really just esoteric, and they're kind of, you know, on paper they work, but in real life they're really hard to do. Uh, it sounds like they've actually got actual bugs working. They've got proof-of-concept code that exploits these bugs. So anyway, expect to hear more about that in the future, uh, and we'll see what AMD can do to fix these bugs through software. And it could be like Intel, where some of the real fixes for these may not come until they can produce the next generation of hardware. Next up, let's talk about PayPal. Um, so as part of the new uh, European Union or EU regulation coming out that's going to be enforced in May of this year called the Genera Data Protection Regulation, or GDPR, uh, that's something we've talked about on the show before, companies are going to basically be required to be a lot more transparent uh, on what kind of data they collect, where and how they store that data, and with whom they share that data. And as part of this, in preparation for these regulations coming online, PayPal has released a report. Um, and of course, if you're not familiar with PayPal, it's an online uh, and mobile payment system, uh, first made popular with eBay way back in the day. In fact, eBay bought them for some time and then spun them back off again. Uh, but, you know, it is an easy way for you to pay for these things that you're buying at these eBay auctions. 
Um, anyway, so they released their report, uh, I guess as part of these regulations, it's something they had to publish. And this report has over 600 companies on it. So it's important to note that PayPal being a payment system, of course, is going to, a lot of the, you know, if you, I look through this list of 600 companies and a lot of the ones on here are things like banks, credit card agencies, fraud detection companies, customer service companies, and, you know, operational services, like, you know, companies that PayPal has to work with in order to provide its service. Yeah, of course, it's also the global list. So it's not just the United States. So this is every, every company they work with in every country around the planet. So there's bound to be a lot there. But there's also well over 100, uh, quote unquote, partners and marketing companies that they share this information with as well. So it's a, it's a huge list. And it's not kind of an eye-opening thing to realize. You know, you think of one company who has some of your data, uh, you know, and you think, okay, who, who might they be sharing out with? Oh, maybe a few people. Oh, you know, a few other companies. Oh, no. It's huge, especially when you consider the global scale of some of these things. So for me, there's like three main takeaways for this. So first of all, if you haven't figured it out already, data is a massive, massively profitable commodity, uh, and it's being hoovered up like crazy, and it's spreading everywhere. Um, the other thing to note is even though the GDPR is for the European Union, it's actually going to help the rest of us. It's going to finally give some of us uh, some more transparency into what these companies are doing because they have to provide it for the EU, and that's going to be public. So uh, we're going to get to see that too. So thankfully, even though our country or other countries – I say our, the United States, uh, but other countries as well have failed, in my view, to protect consumers and their data and how this data is traded and manipulated and sold um, and what rights people have over their own data. The EU is leading the way with this GDPR, and we're going to actually, even though we haven't done that in our country, we're going to get some of the benefits and hopefully some of the transparency that comes from this, these things are going to open up some more eyes and maybe you know some other countries will finally follow suit. And finally, the other takeaway from this to me is that it's not it's not enough for you know the company that you actually have a relationship with. It's not enough just to trust them with your data because it's not just them that has your data. So think about this this case in particular. 600 other companies, you know, for reasons that are, you know, you know, in many cases, probably perfectly valid from a business and service standpoint, also have access to your data. So it's not that hard to find a weak link in a chain of 600 links. <laughs> your data is only as safe as the weakest link in that chain. And if 600 companies have all that data, if I was a hacker, I just need to pick one. So anyway, that th those are kind of my takeaways from that story. A couple quick, uh, quick notes. Uh, TunnelBear, which is a VPN company uh, that I have recommended on this show before because it's very simple to use, uh, very reasonably priced, um, and from all I can tell, a very trustworthy company, was just bought uh, by McAfee. And you, most of you probably know that name uh, from the, um, the antivirus company. So what does this mean? I don't know. But the, the main reason I'm bringing it up is I've recommended it multiple times before, and now I'm actually hesitant to recommend it, unfortunately. Uh, because they just got bought. And that's the other point is, unfortunately, in the way capitalism works is, you you know, you get all in with this company, maybe a smaller company that you really like, that give you great service. They have the privacy policy that you that you picked out of all the companies you looked at, you, you know, and then all of a sudden they get bought by somebody else. Now what? Um, I'm sure that legally, to some degree, they have to honor that privacy policy, at least for some certain amount of time. But once they, you know, modify the, the product and change the name or or do something else, they are free to change that privacy policy. So 
you know, we'll wait and see what McAfee does with Tunnel Bear. But unfortunately, uh, I'm not sure. I can't, I can't recommend it as easily as I had, as I had before. Um, some of the other companies you might look at, uh, if you're looking for a VPN service, I've recommended before uh, Viper VPN. That's spelled with a Y, V-Y-P-E-R VPN. Uh, Encrypt Me is a really good one for Mac. I think they've also got Windows products now too. Uh, they used to be called Cloak, um, but now they're called Encrypt Me. Those are a couple of others that you might look at. And Apple, uh, in response to some of the, you've probably seen some news articles or some politicians talking about how they're worried our kids are spending way too much time with their devices and online, uh, which I, I think is a valid topic for debate, um, and are pushing back on, on companies to try to make their products, quote unquote, less addictive <laughs> um, because our kids are spending so much screen time uh, on these things. So uh, I think partially in response to that, Apple has created an, a whole website uh, on their uh, subsite on their website geared toward families. Uh, and it kind of goes through in a nice, concise way all the different products and features and services um, that they offer that allow parents to have a lot more control over what their kids are doing with these devices, both limiting what they can what they can get to, how much time they spend on it, and those kind of things. So if you've got young children, uh, it's a great resource. Uh, you might take a look at that. The other thing to keep in mind is that it sounds like Apple's going to be having some more features along these lines coming out this year. They have their big annual developers conference uh, in early June this year. So uh, expect some perhaps some more announcements along those lines in early June from Apple. And if you want to go to their website, you can just go to apple.com slash families. That's plural. Uh, I'll also put this uh, with, along, with, along with all the other stuff I talk about, of course, uh, in the show notes as well. So if you want to go to the website, America Out Loud, you can find the information, the links there as well. So next story. I'm sure you probably saw this, this one on the news because it's one of those things that, you know, because it's click-worthy, uh, tension-grabbing. Uh, all these kind of stories always make the news, and they always sound worse than they are. But Amazon's Echo products... Uh, and I will say the word once uh, because this is going to wake up everybody's devices, and I apologize. Um, but the Alexa-based uh, products, that's their virtual assistant where you talk to it, kind of like Siri with Apple and uh, or you know Google's assistant. All these various you know assistants coming online now where you talk to it and it talks back. Well, anyway, so normally the way, <laughs> the way it's supposed to work is you call out that name, that A name, uh, to get their attention. That's what's called a wake word. Uh, and they are just sitting, you know, only listening for that. They're, they're not recording anything else. They're not sending any other data, supposedly. At least that's the way it's supposed to work. Uh, they only have a little little bit of hardware in there that's specifically listening for that word. And as soon as you hear that word, it's like an on switch. You turned it on, and it's now listening for a short period of time. It's waiting for you to say something, and it's going to reply if it knows what to do. So apparently in recent weeks, uh, these Echo devices have started laughing at people with this kind of weird cackle uh, <laughs> with with no prompting whatsoever uh, and that's freaked a lot of people out um, according to Amazon what they what they said is uh, quote in rare circumstances Alexa can mistakenly hear the phrase Alexa laugh uh, we are changing the phrase to be Alexa can you laugh which is less likely to have a false positive and we are disabling the short utterance blah 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 I'm gonna try to quit saying Alexa uh, so we're also changing the response to that laughter to something like, sure, I can laugh. And then it says, uh, then it laughs. So, you know, it's a little less creepy than just it, out of nowhere, out of the blue, just laughing at you. Uh, it just, <laughs> if you haven't heard it, uh, here's what that sounds like. <laughs> so, yeah, I would say that sounds pretty creepy. 
Anyway, supposedly they fixed it. I'd, I'd be curious to know how many of you actually heard that, but I never heard that. And I've got a bunch of these devices in my <laughs> in my home, but it's still pretty weird. Anyway, supposedly it's been fixed now. I just thought it was a funny story. All right, one more story before we get to our tip of the week. Uh, and that has to do with the FBI and the Geek Squad. And this is actually, I'm trying to get uh, an interview in place on this whole topic so we could really dig into this. But uh, the basics are... If you haven't heard of the Geek Squad, it's Best Buy's repair service. So they can either come to you or you can come to them when you're having computer troubles. You give them their device, you give them your devices, and they take it and they analyze it. They fix it if possible or make the changes. You can also bring them in for, you know, not just repairs, but you can also bring them in for upgrades. If you want to get that bigger hard drive or install some more RAM or whatever. Um, these guys have a four pay service where you come in and they do these things for you. So according to this article from the electronic frontier foundation it says after the prosecution of a California doctor revealed the FBI's tied to the best buy geek squad computer repair facility in Kentucky, new documents released to the EFF show that the relationship goes back years. The, the records also confirm that the FBI has paid geek squad employees as informants. EFF filed a Freedom of Information Act lawsuit last year to learn more about how the FBI uses Geek Squad employees to flag illegal material when people at Best Buy, when people pay Best Buy to repair their computers. The relationship potentially circumvents computer owners' Fourth Amendment rights. So basically what this sounds like is that the FBI said, hey, as long as you've got all these computers on your desk and uh, people are giving you the computers, why don't you just kind of poke around and see what you find and let us know if you find something that looks potentially, potentially illegal. Uh, of course, this is not a warranted search, and I honestly I can't imagine how this would even stand up in court. But uh, anyway, apparently the FBI is doing this, and I would like to dig into this deeper. So anyway, stay tuned. I'm hoping to get an interview on this whole topic and related topics coming up soon uh, on the show. So stay tuned for that. All right, and that brings us to our tip of the week. And I want to start with a little story here about Facebook. Uh, so I was ran across this article from a, a website called Hacker Noon, which I honestly I hadn't run across before. Uh, and in this article, the guy uh, talks about how he went and downloaded his Facebook data. Now, this is actually something you've been able to do since 2010, but I don't think most people know about it, and that's partly why I'm bringing it up now. But basically, Facebook allows you, uh, upon request, and it's actually pretty easy to do, uh, you can download everything that Facebook has on you. Everything. Uh, and this guy went and did that, and he and he, he as a kind of an experiment because he wanted to improve his privacy on social media. So he kind of wanted to start by knowing, okay, what do they already know about me? Um, and so he went and downloaded all his information. And you know, okay, so if you sit and think about it, you know, what does Facebook know about you? You know, there's some of the things that shouldn't be terribly surprising. You know, obviously that they're going to have all your profile, they're going to have all your messages, they're going to have you know all your friends, all your status changes, all your likes, uh, your photos, your videos, your comments, all that kind of stuff, right? You know that that's a lot. You, 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 that shouldn't be too surprising. Um, but you know you should now realize, you know, be, certainly once you download this and you're looking it right in the face, that they, Facebook saves everything, everything you ever did since the day you joined, forever. Um, so you also need to kind of think about this implication. So you know it also contains all your past relationships, um, people you've unfriended, former employees and former addresses, your previous names if you were married. Um, if you go, if you go a step further and like most of you probably do put your Facebook app on your phone, uh, as part of the process of installing that on your phone, it asks for permissions to your contacts. Well, that's all your contacts, 
past, present, and future, forever. So anybody you have ever had in your contact list and whatever information you have put in that contact list for that person, Facebook also knows. Also, every time you use Facebook, every time you open the app on your phone, every time you bring it up in your web browser, um, it records every time you've accessed Facebook. So if it knows your IP address, it can also pretty much know where you're located. Uh, it can also know what kind of device you used, you know, what browser you use, what kind of device you were using, because um, part of the HTTP protocol sends all that information happily up to the server just in case it can make some use out of that. Um, but you also got to realize that, you know, if I know, you know, when you use it and where you use it, I also now know probably where you live. I know where you work. Uh, I potentially know what time you get up and what time you go to sleep. Um, I know you're, when you traveled. Uh, I know, uh, like, who else you were with at the time you were doing it. Because if you're sharing Wi-Fi somewhere, that you both would appear to have the same IP address. So I know that if you and anybody else in the house that's using Facebook are now associated with each other or wherever you happen to be. Um, so you know, there's a lot of information and inferences you can draw from this data uh, beyond even just the raw data, which by itself is kind of scary. Uh, the other thing to realize, though, is your photos. Whenever you upload a photo, coming with that photo in any modern device is a whole bunch of metadata. That is embedded with that photo. It, it remembers things like your you know, your f-stop and the light brightness and your, you know, all these kind of camera things, but it also includes the camera make and model. Um, and if you're using on a smartphone, it also includes your location, your your GPS coordinates. Um, and that information is uploaded right with the photo, and Facebook dutifully stores all that information as well. Uh, and we talked about this recently also, but every photo you're tagged in is one more photo that, that Facebook can use to recognize you. Um According to this article, Facebook allegedly said that its image recognition models could recognize human faces with 98% accuracy and that it could identify a person uh, in one picture out of 800 million pictures in less than five seconds. So <laughs> Facebook knows who you are, they know what you look like, and they can find you in any picture. So the other thing this report supposedly shows, and uh, I downloaded mine, and mine is very small because I don't use Facebook very much. I hate <laughs> I hate Facebook. Um, for these reasons, for these privacy reasons. Um, and so I hardly ever use it. So my file is actually pretty small. And I've also dialed my privacy settings on Facebook way down. Um, so I share as little as possible. So my file is pretty small. Um, but you, you know, this file will also show you all the advertisers that they've ever sent your information to and things like that. So my tip of the week is I challenge each and every one of you to go and download your Facebook data. It's very easy to do. And the hard part is going to be looking through it all because it could be massive. Uh, I'll, of course, link to this in the show notes, but just very quickly because it's so easy to do. Go into Facebook. Uh, if you're on the web page, I think it's the web page where you see this, but go to settings. And the, it's on the top right, there's a little triangle. Uh, and if you click that, you go to settings. On, on the app, I'm not I'm not as sure. Um, uh, but if you go to settings, there should be a link, uh, a button right there, a link that says download a copy of your Facebook data uh, on just under your general account settings. And when you click on that, it'll have a button that says, start my archive. And it says that because it's going to take it a while to put all that stuff together. If you've been on Facebook a long time, it may take it quite a while. Hours, days, I don't know. Maybe it depends on how much stuff you've uploaded. But it's going to take all of that data and put it in one big zip file. And then it's going to email you with a link to download that zip file. And if you're like most people and you've been uploading photos and videos and stuff for years, that could be 
over a gigabyte of information, even compressed. So be ready for that. But uh, when when they're done, they'll send you a link and you kind of jump on that link because I actually missed mine. I got my first link and I uh, didn't get to it quick enough and it expired. So um, when you get that link, be ready to jump on it and go download your stuff. And then when you when you get that, you'll open up the zip file. You just you should just be able to double click it and it would it'll uncompress into a folder. Um, and inside that folder, there's an index.html file. Just double click that. It's a web page. Uh, and that web page will give you access to all the other files in a nice kind of a web browsery pretty way. Just start poking around in there and see what you see and, and see if you're not appalled. <laughs> Nothing else. You should just you should just be aware that they have all this information on you. So anyway, that's my challenge. Go check that out. Just do yourself a favor and and make sure that you're at least aware uh, of what Facebook's got on you. By the way, you can do this with Twitter and Google as well, uh, and I'll put links to those uh, on my web on, on the website for this uh, on the page for this podcast. So if you go to the show notes, uh, you can click the links there, and it'll show you how to get the same kind of an archive download for both Google and Twitter. And that's going to wrap up our show this week. Thanks again for tuning in. We had a lot of great info to cover today, and uh, as always. Things are moving and shaking out there, so I will be bringing you all the things that I think are most important and try to distill it down to the stuff that that actually matters and you can do something about. As always, you can uh, get a copy of the book from Amazon.com. That's Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You can find links to that on my website, firewallsdon'tstopdragons.com. Uh, if you're really enjoying this content, please, please share it with other people. Make sure you spread the word. The more people that get this info, the better. Uh, just like inoculations, the more people that are inoculated, the better we all are, even if not everybody is inoculated. Uh, these things are these viruses and these this malware spreads because people are unprotected. And the more people that are protected, the, the harder it is for these things to spread. And knowledge is power. So uh, the more people that understand the stuff, the safer we will all be. So please spread the word. Um, if you like in this stuff, uh, tell people about the newsletter, about the blog. Um, tell them about the podcast. Tell them about the book. Uh, just help me get out there and spread the word. And if uh, if you really really are down with what, what I'm doing. Uh, I'd love to get your support on patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com. You can be a true patron of the show and help support my efforts to get this word out. I would very much appreciate that. And uh, that's going to wrap it up. So tune in again next week for another edition. And uh, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Take care, everybody.